0: Welcome to The Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Almighty God, as we come into this holy space to worship you this day, send your Holy Spirit into our midst that as we step into the Advent season, we may more fully be drawn into the grace and the mercy and the love of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good, morning. Good morning. Happy Advent. Happy Advent. <laughs> well, so the end has come for a lovely older woman named Doris. With her husband at her side, she passes gently from this life to the next And when she arrives in heaven, she's greeted by St. Peter at the pearly gates who welcomes her and then says, Doris, we're so glad you're here. But I have to tell you, before you come in, we have a new policy and we need you to pass a little test. Now, Doris had walked with our Lord most of her life and was surprised and said, well, if that's what it takes, I'm up for it. And Peter says, I need you to spell the word love. And Doris thought it was a trick. Seems so easy, but then she uttered the letters L-O-V-E, at which point Peter says, perfect. Welcome in. You may be called on from time to time to help out in this way or that, but for now, enjoy. Now, I'm looking, this is a joke. I'm looking out and you all look very serious. So if (laughs) if you think I'm making a deep theological point with this, I am not. So just stick with me to the end of the joke, which I think will be, obvious. I didn't even try it at eight o'clock because I thought they're not even awake yet. So, um, all right. So that's what's happening. So Doris, um, does just that. He says, go out and have a ball. And so she, uh, goes out and begins her journey in heaven. But even though she's in heaven, she longed to see her widowed Horace. It just so happens Doris is walking by the gate one day and Peter calls out, Doris. I, uh, I have a meeting with some of the other apostles today. Do you mind watching the gate? Me, Doris says, I don't think I'm qualified. Peter says, oh, it's easy. All you have to do is welcome whomever shows and give them that test. You know, that same one that I gave to you. And Doris, not wanting to let the good old apostle down, says, all righty then. And Peter says, I won't be long. You'll do just fine. Well, it just so happens that Doris's Horace comes ambling up to the gates And Doris had lost track of time in her new heavenly home, but she knew it had been a long time. Her heart leaped with joy. Horace, I'm so glad to see you. Oh my love, Horace cried out. But what are you doing here? Doris explained that she was just standing in for Peter and that there would be this little test. But before she administered the challenge, she said, what have you been up to all those years since we were together? And Horace said, well, you know, I was terribly, terribly sad so sad. I was so lonely. So after you died, I waited a month or two. And then I remembered that young, attractive nurse that had always been around a while, while you were in decline. And I asked her out and lo and behold, she said, yes. so we began dating and, and then in time I proposed and we married. And you may know, even though I'm 78, she was a young one at the age of 37, Uh, beautiful, fit so we decided to have a few more babies together. And then I had all this money from your life insurance. So we traveled the world, not once, but three times. We bought a big house. We installed a pool. And when we weren't traveling. We just enjoyed all kinds of hobbies together. And But then, sadly, I passed away. And But I'm here now, and we can start all over. Ah, but first that test, said Doris. She crossed her arms and dropped her head and said, you only have to spell one word, but you can do it. I did it. And the word, said, Oh, it's simple. Just spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> Thank you. That went over <laughs> even better at 1115 here. So of all the religious jokes out there, I suspect most of them begin with one of these pearly gate stories. Because let's be honest, we're all headed in that direction. The end comes for all of us. And while we only read two of the lessons assigned for this first Sunday of Advent, all of the four of the lessons assigned for today have a common thread of giving us the opportunity of standing back and considering what we will do, how we will live between now and the end. Somebody get your phone, and if that is Doris calling from heaven, (laughs) let me know. I want to talk to her. All right, so we, we traditionally at St. Martin's, we only read two of the lessons, but I've actually printed the other two in your bulletin on page 37. I'll refer to them. You don't have to flip back and forth. But, you know, my guess is if we went around the worship space this morning, the nave this morning, and I asked you how you felt about your life's journey up to this point that that many of us, I think, would agree that a lot of life is really a waiting game. And we might add that we don't like to wait. We are uncomfortable with it. I get impatient with waiting on certain things. Younger children can't wait to be older. Older children cannot wait to be teens. Teens cannot wait to drive. High schoolers cannot wait until college. College graduates, at least we parents hope, cannot wait to be out on their own. Professionals cannot wait until the next promotion or to be married or the new relationship or the child and so it goes. Now if you'll forgive me for finishing a sentence with a preposition, let me ask this question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? It may be as if many of us cruise through life like the child in the backseat during a long family trip When will we get there? But life is a waiting game. And if it is, one question to ponder this morning, this Advent, is how are we to play that game? So we enter today the season of Advent, the root meaning of which comes from the word come. The season itself is a movie trailer of an upcoming attraction we call Christmas, the reminder of the incarnation of God Almighty in the child Jesus Christ but as we know Christ has already come and has already gone and will not return to earth until the end of time thus Christmas is really a kind of a teaser a reminder that there was a very important chapter in the Judeo-Christian history that opened for us more fully more powerfully the good news of God's love for humankind but that story is not finished until the end of the age We don't know when that end will come, and so we wait. But our lessons give us a clue as to how we are to wait. For instance, in the lesson from Isaiah, the Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, the prophet gives God's people a heads up. They have seen much of God's hand through Abraham and Moses, the judges, and the other prophets. But at some point in the future, Isaiah says, God is going to do something incredible, so incredible that swords will be beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. That has not happened yet, but the people should be ready. In the meantime, they have to wait. How to wait? Isaiah says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The psalmist, 122, writes of the building of the great city of Jerusalem, a very real presence to God's people, the great temple of God, the focus of the 12 tribes of Israel, the thrones of the house of David, all mirrors, so to speak, reflecting the power of God in the midst of God's people. But the story is not complete. We know there's more to come. And so despite the greatness of Jerusalem, the people must wait. How to wait, the psalmist says, because of the house of the Lord our God, seek to do good. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, a portion of which David read a moment ago, that church facing great persecution was written in a time when many thought the end of all things would be any day, tempting, no doubt to run one of two ways, either in the words of a song we were all singing 22 years ago this month. For those of you who were around 22 years, this would exclude you, for instance. But many of us remember in 1999 that we were singing party like it's 1999. Or to run to the monastery and pray until the Lord sweeps you away. Paul does know that Christ will come again, does not know when, so he and the Christians in Rome have to wait. How to wait? All counsels to live out the commandments of love, to keep one's life free from darkness and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14. And then Jesus teaches in the gospel lesson that John just read, that in those last days, it will be as if the days of Noah. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. We're not exactly certain what Jesus meant in this teaching. Do we take it literally, perhaps? Maybe, indeed, Christ's coming will be such a surprise that one will wake in the pajamas and look over only to find the pajamas of their spouse left behind. Do we take it metaphorically, perhaps? Maybe it simply means that no one knows when Christ will return and in the interim, some will die and go and be with the Lord and some have to wait. Do we take it merely as a simile, perhaps, as Jesus says as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and then they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. Jesus suggests that some people just go on with their lives with no real interpretation that there is a spiritual element to virtually everything one does Marriage, relationships, eating, drinking, work, play. But if we lose our souls in the process, we may be left to disaster. We may be wiped away. Now we're not certain exactly how this is to be interpreted with this exception. Jesus suggests that we are all moving toward an end, whether the end of our lives or the end of time. It is a waiting game. How to wait? Jesus is clear. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. So life is a waiting game, and all of our lessons call on us to be the kind of people who realize that waiting is actually a big part of living, and how we wait tells us a great deal about the kind of people we are. But if you're like me, we're restless, and many of us, perhaps most of us, have some pretty strong control needs. We get frustrated with waiting, and so again, we yell from the back seat, when will I be there? When will the waiting be over? But where is it that you are trying to go? When we fail to learn the grace of living in the waiting game, we tend to give ourselves that which will give us temporary relief. We deceive ourselves into complacency with manufactured self-importance. Maybe we amass wealth or power or fame, whatever it is that tells us it's better to have a world we create rather than to be patient and wait on the one the Lord will offer us. If we step on that kind of treadmill, it's quite possible to prostitute oneself to the highest bidder so that the life God wants you to have is snuffed out by the one the bottle wants you to have or the lover wants you to have or the allure of power wants you to have, whatever it is. I don't know if you if you browse much on eBay, I do, this is a great time of year to go on eBay because you can get cheap Christmas gifts, something many of my family members will find out in a few weeks. (laughs) But uh, not too long ago, if you were browsing, you might've come across This photo of a young man, he's standing alone in the snow. He actually offered his name for sale. This was the advertisement. I will legally change my name to whatever you pick for a period of 10 years. If you're the winner of this auction, just think of the advertising possibilities. Cashier's check only, good luck. And if you think it's ridiculous, his reserve price was $750,000 and the first bid he received was $500,000. How to wait? Sell yourself to the highest bidder. The only real path to peace and the waiting of life is to give oneself to Christ. Remember what John the Baptist said? I must decrease so that Christ might increase. It's not that we don't go on with life and do the things that life requires of us. We neither should run to the monastery nor the streets of debauchery. Instead, we are to run toward the open arms of Christ and then he will live in us and through us and it is our being in him and he in us that will then define who we are. Advent does call on us to be prepared, but not just for December 25th, not just for the season, the four weeks of Advent, to be prepared for all of life. Advent is that season of pregnancy that reminds us that all of life is about birthing the people God calls on us to be. Thus, when we live in the waiting game, which we all are, we're not defined by our pain or our pleasures or our temptations or our successes or our past or our present but by a God who is always, always calling us toward the goal of being part of the enterprise that he calls the kingdom of God. So again, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I cannot wait until my Christmas break. I cannot wait until I get back to work. I cannot wait until I get this weight off or see the fruit of my exercise regime. I cannot wait until my child matures. I cannot wait until my spouse changes. I cannot wait until the divorce. I cannot wait to get this cast off. I cannot wait until the cancer is cured. I cannot wait until everyone else agrees with me. I cannot wait until I no longer have to battle Temptation. I cannot wait until I see Jesus. I cannot wait. But I have to wait because I am not in control. God is. And the greatest, best hope is to offer my waiting to Him so that I will increasingly be made in His image. And not mine. A few years ago, I read the story about a daughter who actually complained to her father about her life and how things were so hard for her. She didn't understand why things didn't seem to come together for her as she had hoped, and she just couldn't wait until things got better. She was tired of fighting and struggling and the waiting, and it seemed every time she overcame one problem, another one arose. So she brought all this to her father, and he was a chef. And so instead of giving her a fatherly lecture, he actually walked with her into the kitchen. He took out and filled three pots with water and placed them on a high fire. And soon the pots came to a boil. And one he placed carrots, and the second he placed eggs, and the last he placed ground coffee beans. He let them sit and boil. He didn't say a word. Together they just had to sit and wait. The daughter sucked her teeth impatiently, wondering when that wait would be over. In about 20 minutes, he turned off the burners. He fished out carrots and placed them in a bowl. He pulled the eggs out and he placed them in a bowl and he ladled out some coffee and poured it into a mug. And turning to his daughter, he said, "'Now, darling, what do you see?' "'Carrots, eggs, and coffee,' she said as she rolled her eyes. He brought her closer and told her to feel the carrots. And she did, and she noted that they were soft. And he asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. And finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. And as she did, she smiled and she softened a bit as she tasted its rich aroma. So what does all this mean, Father? Father? And he explained that each of them had faced the same adversity, boiling water, but each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong and hard and unrelenting, but after being boiled, it softened and became weak. The egg had become fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior, but after sitting through the boiling water, its insides had become hardened. The ground coffee beans, however... After they were boiled, had changed the water. Which are you? He asked his daughter. When you get tired of going through life's game, when adversity knocks on your door, when you're constantly waiting for what's next, how do you respond? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? So, what about you? Are you the carrot? It seems hard, but with pain and adversity, do you wilt and become soft and lose your strength? Are you the egg which starts off with a malleable heart? Were you a fluid spirit? But after a death or a breakup or a divorce or a layoff, you've become hardened and stiff. Your shell looks the same from the outside, but you're bitter and tough with a stiff spirit and a stone-cold heart. Or... Are you like the coffee bean? The bean changes the hot water. The thing that is actually bringing it pain, so to speak. A heat of 212 degrees Fahrenheit actually brings out the peak flavor. When the water gets the hottest, it just tastes better. The carrots and eggs were defined from the outside in. Their weight in the water led to the destruction of their created nature. The coffee beans during their wait simply made things around them better. What on earth does this have to do with Advent? Well, we are all, all of us waiting. And in the interim, we can either sell ourselves to the highest bidder and in the end be defined from the outside in or we can give ourselves to God in Christ and join him in the process of healing the world by being defined from the inside out. So this is why Isaiah tells us the best way to wait is to walk in the light of the Lord. This is why the psalmist tells us the best way to wait is to seek to do good. This is why Paul tells us the best way to wait is to live godly lives and to put on the Lord Jesus. This is why Jesus tells us the best way to wait is to always be ready. How to always be ready? Francis of Assisi was once working in his little vegetable garden and a fellow monk came with a smirk and kind of with a judgmental attitude asked Francis, Francis, if you knew our Lord would return any minute, what would you be doing? Francis is said to have smiled and replied, I guess I would be working in my little vegetable garden. Why did he answer that way? Because Francis knew how to be ready. How to wait on the Lord. He had given himself to Christ and so all that he did, everything that he did had greater depth and meaning and purpose. He had what we Christians call the peace of God which passes all understanding. So, Advent, again, just a reminder. He is coming. We must play the waiting game. And we can play it without him and forever yell from the back seat, when will I be there? When will I be there? Or we can play it with him. And know the most important thing is not when we get there, but that we are with him. And that really is the only test we are asked to take. Make that decision to walk with our Lord. So what are you waiting for? Wait upon the Lord. Serve the Lord. Love the Lord. Trust the Lord. Give your life to our Lord Jesus. And he will take care of the rest. I promise. And you can find peace in that. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.